0: Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Uh, So this week, um, me and my girls, we were trying to figure out a movie to watch one night. And I don't know if you've got... uh, probably don't, maybe don't have four kids that are spaced out as much as mine, but we got kids between, what, nine, nine years old and 16 years old. It's tough to find a movie that they all want to watch. And so a lot of times it comes down to me picking out something that, that I like or something old or whatever, but they never watched a Marvel movie before, so I was like, okay, let's, let's watch at least a Marvel movie. And so we, I picked out Ant-Man, and so we're watching it. And Paul Rudd is the actor, main actor in that. I don't know if you, you know who Paul Rudd is, but the guy's just funny, he... He's looked like he's 30 years old for about the last 30 years, and he's just a likable character. And there's certain, there's certain characters that we see that uh, every time that they're in a movie or in a show, we just seem to like them. It seems like there's something about their, their character, even when they're acting, it's like, I just think I would like that person. Um, there are, there's kind of two Characters that we can come across. You know, with a professional athlete. There's the athlete who will, will go by and they'll sign everything for, for everybody that's waiting to get an autograph from them. And then there's the other athlete who will walk right past everybody and pretend like they're not there. And I'll tell you, the one that I want to cheer for, it's pretty obvious. There's something about people's character that draws us to them. Um, even if we, we don't know them at all, there's something usually that, that Man, I like that per- person. I like that about that person. Or I struggle with this person for that reason. And, and I, was, I was listening to a story. Uh, it was a video, YouTube video that I was watching. And there was this guy talking on there. He had been back in the late 70s or early 80s. He, he was a kid. And he had been a ball boy for the Los Angeles Clippers. They play in the NBA. And I think this story can con- kind of connect with every one of us on some level. And so he said the, the very first day that he was working as a ball boy for the Clippers... Another team was in town, and this team had a player on, on their team who he had multiple times, he had been an MVP of the league. And he said that this guy was just ruthless to him. I will not say his name, because I don't know, maybe the guy will come to church one day or something. I, wanna, you know, I don't want to be bashing him from up here. But he was just he was relentlessly mean to this, this ball boy. And to the point that the, the kid went home and he was crying that night, and he's like, Mom, I don't want to go back. I don't want to do this job. And Mom made him go back. The next day, the next game, the Philadelphia 76ers come in town, and the Sixers at that time had a guy by the name of Dr. J. If you know anything about basketball, Dr. J was a champion. He was one of the all-time greats. And he had a completely different experience with Dr. J. Dr. J um, was just kind to him. Uh, so this ball boy, he was told by his bosses to go and put six pairs of socks in everybody's locker. And Dr. J was like, hey, kid, how many feet do you think I have? Kid's like, Two? But it didn't go bad from there. What Dr. J did is he said, hey, how many, how many siblings you got? And the, the kid said, five. He goes, perfect. He took time to sign every one of those pairs of socks for the siblings. And he went and grabbed a basketball. And he signed a basketball and gave it to the ball boy. Now you can imagine how much different that kid walked away feeling after that experience with Dr. J in his second game as a ball boy. What's, where, where it really turns interesting, though, is what happened later on in life. This guy became a very successful businessman. And he would bring people in to do speaking, different things like that. And so he said on on this YouTube clip I watched, he said, you know what, I had a lot of opportunities to bring that first guy in for a lot of money in my company, and I never called him. I called up Dr. J every single time. So the moral of the story is be nice to little kids because they might make it rich one day, and they might be able to help you out, okay? Now, obviously, the moral of the story is one of those guys Gave, gave a feeling to this ball boy that like he remembered in a good way. One of them, it, it didn't go well. And Maya Angelou actually said this. Uh, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. Really what it comes down to is impact. Dr. J made an impact on this young, on this young boy wasn't because of how good he was at basketball. It was was how he treated this young boy. And what we're doing right now is we're spending a few weeks in the Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes. This is Matthew chapter 5. The Sermon on the Mount was a sermon that Jesus gave. It was the greatest sermon ever told. That's how we remember it. Um, But in the beginning of that sermon, he gives these Beatitudes, which are essentially attitudes that he wants us to live by. And the portion of instructions that we're going to look at today, I think they really speak to how we how we connect with the people around us. It's learning to be fully engaged in the kind of life and the kind of actions, the attitudes that Jesus wants us to be engaged with. You know, that first basketball player that this, this ball boy came across, he was not fully engaged with the kind of attitudes that would impact a person for the right reasons. You know, as followers of Jesus, we should be fully engaged with the kinds of behaviors and the lifestyle that leaves a good taste in people's mouths when we're done hanging around them. This ball boy never forgot how Dr. J made him feel, but he also never forgot how that other basketball player made him feel. If we're going to represent Jesus well, our behaviors have to look and feel more like Jesus wants our behaviors to look and feel. He is always left, he always left people feeling like he had changed their life for the better. Now I wonder how many times do people feel like you changed their life for the better? Are you giving life to people every single day when you're around people? Is there something about you that that represents Jesus in such a way that it makes a difference in people's lives? And so with that kind of thought in mind, we're going we're gonna to dive in here to uh, the next part of the Beatitudes. Last week we, we went into the first Beatitude. We're going to look at three Beatitudes, and i, I got to apologize because every single one of these could be used as a full sermon. And so we're just going to kind of hit each of them quickly, but we're looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 4 through 6. And it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who are meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Uh, Now, I I don't know if there's really a clear tie between all three of these. That's that's why I'm kind of apologizing and I'm not doing them as separate sermons. But I will say this. I think all of the Beatitudes do have at least a general tie, and that tie is humility. If we are going to have... The attitudes that Jesus wants us to have, the truth is, all of those attitudes are going to be infused with humility. Everything that Jesus teaches us comes back to that in some way. Last week, we, we started off with the first of the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. I'll say a couple things just as a recap. If, if you weren't here, uh, I suggest maybe go back and listen to the sermon on podcast, or you can watch it on Facebook or YouTube. Um... One of the things that we had talked about was blessed does not necessarily mean happy. A lot of people say blessed in these Beatitudes means you're going to be happy if you do this. I actually think it means more, you're going to be approved by God. These actions are actions that are approved by God. And then we talked about poor in spirit. And poor in spirit, it doesn't mean anything about finances. What poor in spirit meant is that we see ourselves as poor spiritually. That I am completely poor spiritually and I can only go to Jesus, the, one who, the only one who is rich spiritually, to get what I need on a spiritual level. I need to be desperate for Jesus. And so that was kind of the quick recap of what we, we looked at last week. This week, I'm going to start here with, the, with that first verse, verse 4. Where Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn and will be comforted. Now, what, what I typically do when I'm looking at a passage and I'm about to preach is I kind of, I, I, I did... I still do youth ministry here, even at our church here. For 20 plus years, I've been doing youth ministry. And so the way that I think about passages are, how will kids think about this? What questions will a teenager ask when it comes to this? And so when it comes to blessed are, are those who mourn, my first question is, all right, so does that mean like I'm supposed to like, like be sad and stuff and like go to funerals and, be, and cry and stuff? Because that's how teenagers ask the questions, like and stuff. Um, and so that's the first thing. Like, am I supposed to just be really, really sad? Am I supposed to watch sappy movies and cry all the time? First of all, everybody should cry at a movie once in a while. It's good for the soul, all right? But that is not at all what Jesus is talking about here. It's not, that's not the kind of mourning that Jesus is talking about in this passage. He's not saying that we're supposed to find people that we can be sad with. Now, I do think you know, you look at the book of Ecclesiastes and it says that there's a time for everything. There's a time to be happy. There's a time to be sad. There's a time to, to, be, to cry. There's a time to mourn. So there is a time to, in empathy with other people, to mourn with them. That is a biblical thing. but That's not the kind of mourning that Jesus is actually talking about in this passage. What this beatitude is saying is that we need to truly be sorry, truly be repentant for the sins that we commit. To the point that we essentially are mourning over that sin. Now I do think that I I just want to be a little careful here because sometimes people think, well that means that I should just be, I should beat myself up over all my sin." No, that's not exactly what we're saying. But I should be repentant. I should regret when I do something wrong. True repentance makes no excuses. It offers no rationalizations for what it is that we've done. But you see, all too often today, we, we've got this bad habit where we don't really take responsibility for the things that we do. You know, sometimes people in the public eye, they will, they'll mess up bad. And they'll come out and they'll make a public apology. And, and a lot of times it sounds like this. If anybody was, was offended by what I did, I'm sorry. Can I tell you that's the, the lamest apology that a person could ever give? It's pretty much like saying... Hey, I'm sorry, I don't think what I did was wrong, but if you're such a baby that you were hurt by it, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you were a baby. That's kind of what they're saying in that kind of an apology. And it drives me nuts. Take responsibility once in a while. We are living in a culture that doesn't take responsibility. Sometimes I've had moments where I've had to call a parent or talk to a parent and say, hey, you know what, your kid your kid can't come to this event the next time because they did something. Um, the only reason why, why we would not let a kid come to an event is maybe they they physically tried to harm some other kid. They pushed a kid or they, they even punched a kid. And I've had parents call me up and be like, why won't you let my kid come the next time? Because they were the one getting bullied. I'm like, can you just let your kid take some responsibility? We, it's not okay to, to have some physical violence, no matter what was going on. And so let's just take a little bit of responsibility. And we are in a culture where we don't take responsibility all the time. If you do something wrong, true regret and repentance is what God wants. And it will produce the comfort that, is placed, that placing blame on others is never going to produce. That's part of what Jesus said here. Those who mourn will be comforted. You know, there are a lot of times where, where I know I've done something wrong. I want to place the blame on other people. In some way, it kind of makes me feel good to think, well, no, it's that person's fault. Or I'm not all that bad because everybody else does this even worse than I do. That is, that's going to maybe give us a little bit of comfort for a little bit of time, but it's not going to give us true comfort. Taking responsibility, mourning over what we do, allows us to go to God to find, to find forgiveness, to find the, the restitution that we need so that we can actually get comfort. Life change actually leads to comfort. You see, sin is destructive. We don't like to think that sin is destructive, but it is absolutely destructive. And if we're not careful we're going to find ourselves excusing away sin as much as we possibly can. But it's important that you and I, we stop and, and we realize that when we choose to follow Jesus, when we accept his substitutionary death on the cross, that, that, that our sins are forgiven, that we've, we get our, his perfection placed on us and our, our sin was placed on him on the cross, what happens at that is we realize, okay, now we've been forgiven. The sin is washed away. But here's the problem. Sin is still destructive. Just because our sin is washed away doesn't mean that we should be trying to live a life of sin. The reason that I think we want to try to steer clear of sin, it's really two reasons. The first reason is sin-free living is Jesus' kind of living. That's how Jesus lived. Why would I not want to try to live like Jesus lived? But the second part really is that it is healthy living. Living apart from sin is healthy living. We think that Jesus tells us certain ways to live just so that he can make us feel guilty, but that's not what it is. Jesus wants us to have the healthiest life that we possibly can have. That's why he asks us to live in a certain way. That's why he gives us these beatitudes. Mourn over your sin, regret it, feel sorrow so that you can actually walk and live a different way the next time so that we can be healthy. Yes, we might be forgiven already, but he's asking us. This is how, he's telling us this is how you can be healthy. Part of mourning is actually looking around at the, at the world around us and realizing that this is not how it was meant to be. That the, the sin and, and the destruction that we see around us, this is not how it was meant to be. So part of it is mourning that our world is not what it's supposed to be. But part of that comfort comes in now we know that we are, there's something awaiting us that is actually perfect. We have an eternity set aside. Where sin and destruction and all that stuff, it's going by the wayside. You know, I don't quote uh, from Revelation very often, but Revelation 21.4 says something great. It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. This world that is full of pain and destruction and sin and death. It's never something that you or I should cheer on. How often are we cheering on the things in this world that just aren't what Jesus wants it to be? We're not supposed to cheer that on. It is something to be mourned. That sin exists in this world. But we get to be comforted because there is something right and there is something beautiful that awaits us in eternity. Our goal right now in the the life that we're living should really be to, to live as close to that eternity life as, as we possibly can. To live as close to what that life awaiting us in eternity with Jesus is going to be like. A life without sin. Yes, we're going to mess up sometimes. We don't, have to, we don't have to be put on a guilt trip when we, when we do mess up. But God is saying to us here in this passage, mourn that sin. Don't fall in love with that sin. We have too many people living in the church who are falling in love with the sin of the world. God's saying that's not what's healthy for us. That's not what he wants for us. So take on the attitude that Jesus would have us adopt. Step up. Take responsibility. Apologize with all your heart when you are actually wrong about something. Then learn from it and do better the next time. There's a reason why Jesus wants us to do that. It's healthy for us. All right, so the second of the Beatitudes we're going to look at here um and this is kind of just a quick turn into the next one but uh Matthew 5 5 Jesus said blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth now meek is a very misunderstood word Uh, they say in in other countries uh, foreigners always know when an American is around because frankly we are just loud people we are loud we are obnoxious I am of the worst of those usually I get it um We'll be in an airports, and actually when you go on a missions trip, we talk to, to students all the time about stay together and be quiet. Because if you're loud and obnoxious, everybody knows you're an American, and you're going, you're going overseas to, to, to do something good for Jesus. Don't, don't be annoying. This meekness thing, this quiet thing, we don't, really, we don't really know in America. But there were two Old Testament scholars that they actually looked at the Hebrew Old Testament. They wanted to figure out what does it mean when the Bible talks about meekness and they just they discovered this a meek person is someone who feels that he is a servant in relationship to God and who subjects himself to God quietly without resistance there is actually something powerful in that see we we actually I think where we misunderstand meekness is we actually think that meek is weak and meek is anything but weak Again, being around teenagers a lot of my life, it's, it's very rare that you, you come across a teenager who is so self-confident and has so much self-esteem that they just walk around with that quiet confidence. You know what I'm saying? That's a pretty rare thing with a teenager. A lot of times teenagers uh, do kind of what they, whatever they can do to, to, to make themselves uh, good with everybody else. And it's rare, I think, to see it in adults, a, this quiet strength that we're talking about. That's what meekness actually is. And so when you see it in a young person, if you see that quiet strength in a, in a teenager, it's different. It's a little bit shocking. You're like, wow, that, that kid's got it together. There is something powerful in what meekness actually looks like. A.W. Tozer puts it like this. Jesus calls us to his rest, and meek, meekness is his method. The meek man cares not at all, who, he, who is greater than he, for he has long ago decided that the esteem of the world is not worth the effort. They don't care if somebody's greater than them. I'm telling you what, all, almost all my life I've lived wanting to be greater than everybody else. Like I, it's, it's this thing in the back of my mind, it's, co- it's this constant competitiveness. I will play games with my children. The game that was always the worst was the match game, where you got to find two cards of the same. My kids would always beat me, and it infuriated me. Five-year-old beating me at the game of match all the time. I was angry because I wanted to beat him. And, and I, had a, I had a best friend growing up, you know, from like first grade on. We were, we were such good friends. His name was Adam. Still is Adam, actually. Um, his name is Adam. And I just want to put that in. He's alive and well, okay? But we would, we would compete at everything. If it was the mile run at gym class, we were competing. If it, it didn't matter what it was. One of the, one of the worst ones was ping pong. And we would go and play ping pong at youth group, before and after youth group. And we would, we would be sweating. We were playing so hard. And in the, in the heat of the moment, I wanted nothing more than to be better than Adam at ping pong. and He wanted nothing than to, more than to be better at me, than me. In the grand scheme of things, nobody cares who is better. I, I get in these competitive mo- modes and I, I can just see my wife being like, Nobody cares, Kellen. Stop it. I'm like, yeah, I care. And so do you. No, she doesn't. Um, And so on one time, Adam and me, we played 21 games of ping pong one night. Those are games up to 21. You win by two, and all of our games are close. So we played like a bazillion points of ping pong. Just being competitive, wanting to be the best. That is not what Meek looks like. I live in constant competition with the things I make up in the world to try and be the best. But the prize that we should be seeking is a different prize altogether. There is something so strong to be found in a person who doesn't care about the recognition of the world, but simply only cares about making God recognized. Meekness. I want you to hear this. Meekness is strong, tender-hearted gentleness, willing to submit. Those are words that don't go together very well. I want you to put that up on the screen again if 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 we're able to. Meekness is strong, tender-hearted gentleness. Willing to submit. Ultimately, being a meek person is strong. It's, being, it's somebody who is strong, but in their strength, they're willing to submit to God. I'm telling you, people who have amazing leadership qualities and yet are able to, be, to, to submit fully to God, that kind of meekness is so powerful for people to watch. Those are the greatest leaders that you're ever going to find. And the Bible talks about how Moses was a leader like that. There's people that are like that. Submission to God, even when you are strong, is a powerful thing. What are ways that that, that meek people submit to God? The desire to get my way. Do you, do you submit your desire to get your way? Uh, they, they submit the desire to have things. They des, submit the desire for power or influence or for personal gain. You see, what Jesus said here is that the meek will inherit the earth. And what we think is that the people who who take all the power and make people submit to them are going to be the ones who inherit stuff. But Jesus, like he almost always does, and he reverses everything, everything is upside down in his kingdom. He says, the people who are willing to submit to me, they're the ones who are going to to inherit the earth. They're the ones who are going to get something greater than what they could have ever, ever gotten. And see, Jesus right now, he is pointing us to a, a countercultural way of thinking. He's actually co- co- like pointing us to a countercultural way of leadership, a style of leadership, the meek style of leadership, being strong yet willing to submit to God through everything. So that's what he's talking about in, in this, in this uh, beatitude about being meek. Let's go right away again to, to the next one. Uh, this is Matthew 5, chapter 7. Uh, Verse 7, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, we all have an idea of what hunger and thirst looks like. Um, There was a time I was, this is probably like 10 years ago. I went for a five-mile run on a 92-degree day. I did not realize how hot it was when I went out for this run. And I'm telling you, I actually thought at about mile three I was going to die. I have never had heat exhaustion before like this. And the last two miles, I was just like, I don't know if I'm gonna make it home to get a drink. And once I got home, I took the, fauc- the, the water hose and I literally, I just doused my whole body and I just opened my mouth and I, like, I just sat there for five minutes. It was the greatest thing ever. I wonder though, have you ever had a thirst like that for God to make you more like Jesus in the way that you think, in the way that you behave, and in the way that you act we know what hunger is like. Every single one of us has experienced hunger. Um, sometimes it's physical hunger. Sometimes it's a different hunger. There was, there was a time in my life, and I've said this before, where I desperately was waiting to hear the words from Crystal that she was willing to marry me. And we dated for five years. The first three years of us dating, I just I, I wasn't quite getting that feel from her, that she was quite ready. And about three years into dating, she finally was like, Callan, I, 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 th- I think I see... I see it. I think we can get married. And I'm telling you, I've never hungered for, and never will hunger for words like that more than in my entire life. It, it was just something that I had been longing for. And so my question is for you, have you ever hungered for God to bring the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit out of you? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I think I named all nine of them. I usually miss one. Uh, but have you ever had a hunger for God to, to bring those things forth in your life, that they would emanate out of your life? And it was such a hunger that it was this thing that you had to ap- just absolutely had to have. Jesus makes it really clear here. The true follower of Jesus hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Becoming like Jesus... Becoming like him in the way that we live our lives, it fills us up in a way that nothing else can fill us up. We should long to live godly lives the way that that a hungry man longs for the next piece of bread that he can find, or or the way that a wanderer in the desert is longing for, for a drink. We should hunger to become more like Jesus. We should thirst to become more like Jesus. Now like we always talk about it, Be sure, you can hunger and thirst to be like Jesus as much as possible, and it still doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. The person who is grateful for what God has done in in forgiving them and accepting them for for who they are, um, they realize that I don't have to be perfect, but I still do need to become more like Jesus. There, There should be something driving us towards that. See, too many Christians do not desire or look for or long for this holy kind of life that jesus is talking about this righteous kind of life too many of us sometimes even in the in the heat of the moment and i'll i was doing this yesterday when i was trying to re-plow out my my driveway after the city i worked really hard at plowing that thing out really good and the city came in and they just laughed at me and they said i'm gonna just bury you with a bunch more snow and I was angry. I was really angry in the moment. And in the moment of my anger, I'm like, I should probably just have the attitude of Jesus. I don't know how I don't know how Jesus' attitude would look like with that. I think there'd be a little righteous anger. I hope. Um, but in that moment, in the heat of the moment, it's like I couldn't. I couldn't just go yeah, I know God's gonna forgive me for. God's gonna forgive me for this bad attitude. And I, but and I'm so I'm just gonna have the attitude for now. That's the way I, I treated it. Too much of the time, that's how we do it. God, you're going to forgive me, so I'm going to do what I'm about to do. We are called by Jesus to seek after a holy life. That sounds like a a really, really, really big task. But while we seek out that holy, righteous life, no matter how hard we try, we can't get it on our own. We cannot will it into existence. A, a, A tiny infant child struggles with hunger and thirst. And no matter what they do, they cannot satisfy that hunger and thirst on their own. Same thing, we cannot satisfy our hunger and thirst for righteousness all on our own. Only a gracious God who transforms our mind, our heart, our character, our behavior is able to do that. What Jesus is asking us to do in the Sermon on the Mount in in these Beatitudes is not to just, it's not a thing about mere human effort. Just will yourself into all these right behaviors. It's a result of transforming grace. So I want to ask you, are you asking Jesus for the kind of transforming grace that it takes to mold your heart and your mind and your attitudes into what Jesus wants it to be? Are you asking Jesus on on a regular basis to continually transform your heart to what he wants it to be? Like I said at the beginning, there's a, there's a lot that we could chew on on these Beatitudes. Kind of sorry that we couldn't take them one by one, but that would make for a really long sermon series. But there's three things I want us to be thinking about as we, as we go out here. What Jesus, attitudes that Jesus wants us to take. People who Jesus says will be blessed are gonna do the following. One, they're gonna truly regret their mistakes and try to grow from them. But they're also gonna regret th- that the world is far from Jesus And they'll find comfort knowing that one day all things are going to be set as it should be. Second thing, they're going to truly submit fully to God without resisting Him. Are you submitting to God or are you resisting Him? And then the third is they desperately long to live a holy life. I know if there's one of those three things that I think I probably need to be working on, God, I want to live a holy life. I don't want to be okay with messing up at moments and just knowing and... and, being okay with the fact that I know you're going to forgive me. I want to be better than that, Lord. Maybe one of those behaviors sticks out to you. Uh, Maybe it's that thing that you know God is saying, okay, this is what I want you to work on. But we're never going to get there if we do not fully engage with Jesus, to know Jesus on a deeper level. The only way that our lives become what Jesus wants it to be is if we see the life of Jesus and we become more like that life. And so, what are you doing to fully engage with Jesus? Last week we talked about next steps that we could take to fully engage our life with Jesus. Maybe you're a person in the room right now and you've never, you've never accepted who Jesus is, that He is the Savior of the world, but that He's the Savior of your life. And maybe that's your next step this morning saying, Okay, Jesus, I accept what you did for me on the cross, I accept that you were perfect and you died in my place. And You've given me now your perfection. I give my sin to you. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe your next step is you feel that God is pulling you to serve in church or serve somewhere. Uh, next, the next two weeks, what we're gonna do is we're gonna we're gonna do a, a difference maker job fair so that you can kind of get a feel for all the different ways at church that you could be serving. Maybe God is calling you to serve. That's your next step. Maybe God is calling you, like I said last week, to, to get into some kind of a small group or to decide every day that you're gonna read the Bible, that you're gonna read God's word for yourself, that you're gonna get up and you're gonna pray. Those are all good next steps. Maybe it's something a little bit more on the lines of what we talked about this morning. Uh, Maybe your next step is to stop making excuses for the way that you've hurt someone or to submit to God's voice where he's been telling you to tell your story of faith to a coworker or to a neighbor. Maybe it's to ask God to give you a passion for letting go of your past life of sin in favor of a life of character and integrity. There's a a next step for every single one of us. Every single one of us needs to engage fully with Jesus. My question is this morning, what is the way that God's asking you right now to engage? Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.